Before we start, it's coming up to the season for a lot of holidays. Familiar highways, line with leaves turn brown, making my way back into my hometown. Funny how this all looks different, but it feels the same. Like how life never stops changing, but some things never change. So fill your plate and fill your drink and fill this house with family. The kind of love that all these years can't wash away. Cause the older that I get, I see the life short and bittersweet. Thank God for this Thanksgiving day. Watching football, watching families grow, the old kids' table, all have kids of their own. Starting to see my grandfather in my nephew's eyes. Mom still can't talk about him and I'd almost cry. So fill your plate and fill your drink and fill this house with family. Kind of love a thousand miles can't wash away. Cause the older that I get, I see life short and bittersweet. Thank God for this Thanksgiving day. Put your dishes in the kitchen sink and let the leftover you just wash away. As we made it through, I do believe the longest year in history. Thank God that it's Thanksgiving Day. This is it. This is the real thing. You've heard about it on the radio and seen it in the papers. Ten big acts for the price of one ticket. Behind this curtain, you'll see the Fiji mermaid, the giant red bat, the six-foot man-eating chicken. They're all real, and they're all on the inside. You'll see the Ethiopian glacier. folks what are you waiting for admission is free to Ballycast, the podcast of the carnival sideshow and variety arts you're just in time we're gonna have a free show we're gonna bring out the strange people the weird people here they come now watch the doorway you'll see what they do you'll hear what they talk about they're all alive on the inside get your ticket and come in Ballycast presents news and interviews with performers and showmen some important words of warning this podcast is not family friendly i'm not even thinking about it so listen at your own risk the performances and stunts described are not safe even for experienced performers never attempt them without the direct supervision of someone who already performs them please use your common sense and if you don't have any stop listening now here's your host wayne kaiser Welcome to Valleycast, episode 172, brought to you free by Blue Ridge Entertainment for showmen, performers, and fans of the sideshow, carnival, and variety arts. The feature segment of today's show, Holiday. The theme is... (laughs) What, I was supposed to kill it first? Oh... Poor thing. The theme is bounty, variety, the variety of dishes and family and everything else you'll encounter. 
or you'll have to endure, as well as what's known as variety entertainment, all things you can find at this time of year. Also, news, a favorite recipe, and much more. Oh yes, and fear of clowns. From the mind of Stephen King, it's Ballycast. Here we go. Keep your hands and arms inside the car and remain seated until the ride comes to a complete stop. I have to tell you about what the holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas, for me, is usually like, and how it relates to the sideshow. There's a turkey in the house, dedicated to his career and fully prepared to work on the holiday. He'll perform extreme acts like body piercing with skewers, a very unusual fire act in which he'll bravely face a 350-degree oven for several hours, and a daring attempt to evade sharp knives, plus a bath in hot gravy containing bits of his own internal organs. Now a special warning. This act may be too extreme for younger members of the audience, so you'll probably want to send them to a separate children's table, maybe even in another room. For the faint of heart... Cranberry sauce will be available at the refreshment stand, and everyone can relax after the whole terrifying experience with a long nap, maybe a football game. Of course, after the required family arguments... What do you think they got in the college league for to keep people like you out? You. See, even the dog won't eat it. Maybe the turkey will even do it again on Christmas. Who's dead? My old website, and with it, all of my old email addresses. I was not paying the $700 they wanted this time without any excuse, so goodmagic.com is gone. Gone for good. I've wiped that reference from every old episode and trying to replace every remaining product sales button on the episode web pages. Over 170 episodes. It's taking quite a while. Sorry for the delays. The new email is waynekaiser290 at gmail.com. It'll be posted soon on all web pages. For that reason, I've quit selling my DVD, The Carnival's Been and Gone. It's now free on YouTube in its entirety, properly divided into its original chapters. Luna Park and Dreamland on Coney Island in 1903. World's Fairs of 1939, 62 and 65. These places are the stuff of dreams. All of them vanished long ago. But now you can visit them, many in vivid color. Long gone performers and attractions in The Carnival's Been and Gone. A two and a half hour DVD that lets you shoot the shoots at Coney Island a hundred years ago. Ride the rides at Luna Park and Steeplechase when they lit up the night with wonder. Ride the parachute jump. The Silver Streak. Actually see inside many shows. See what they're doing in the Ecstasy Girl Show. And look inside four girl shows, all in sparkling color. Now I can stand out here and tell you that on the inside we have shake dances oriental dances, exotic dances. The little lady that does the dance of temptation. You boys that have been to the Hudson Theater in New Jersey, you know what I'm talking about there. You'll see the human automobile tire. And the man who hangs himself. Zip and Pip, the pinheads. Princess Lala, the fat lady. Albert Alberta, the half-man, half-woman. The strangest sights on the island. Ricks from the four corners of the world. What two nickels, one dime, a tenth part of a dollar. We've got the show if you've got the dime. It's just starting. So hurry, hurry, look them over, the lady without a head. They're all inside. These places have vanished, but you've heard about them all your life. 
The films have been rescued and restored, shaky images stabilized, faded color brought back to vivid life. Shot by people who were there in the glory days of legendary amusements, this is no idle tour of high-minded cultural exhibits. You'll see Billy Rose's Aquacade, Nature's Greatest Mistakes, The Midget City, Watch Gully Gully, King of Magic, and the Wonder Mouse Pitchman. Dozens of legendary attractions, over two and a half hours of wonder. Just look for my channel under my name, or by the title, you'll find it. If you have a problem, let me know. And now, on with the show. Anyway, my family, let me tell you about Cousin Kathy. She's so cute. <laughs> One more thing. Like many of you, I'm extremely dismayed by the state of affairs in the country these days. We're faced with an election season getting closer and closer, just a year away now. So I'm taking my advice from an old cartoon. Who will make your taxes light, Mr. Nobody? Who'll protect the voters' right, Mr. Nobody? Who fills up your flower keg? Who cares if you have to beg? Who cares if you break a leg, Mr. Nobody? When you're hungry, who feeds you, Mr. Nobody? Who cares what becomes of you, Mr. Nobody? Should you wake some early dawn, find a new milkman is on. Who cares if your wife is gone, Mr. Nobody? And an obscure Broadway show called Fiorello. Your witness, Mr. X, may we ask you a question? It's amazing, is it not? That the city pays you slightly less than 50 bucks a week, yet you've purchased a private yacht. I am positive your honor must be joking. Any working man can do what I have done. For a month or two, I simply gave up smoking, and I put my extra pennies one by one into a little tin box. A little tin box that a little tin key unlocks. There is nothing unorthodox about a little tin box. About a little tin box. In a little tin box. A little tin box that a little tin key unlocks. There is honor and purity. Lots of security. In a little tin box. Next witness. Mr. Y, we've been told you don't feel well, and we know you've lost your voice. But we wonder how you managed on the salary you make to acquire a new Rolls Royce. You're implying I'm a crook and I say no, sir. There is nothing in my past I care to hide. I've been taking empty bottles to the grocer, and each nickel that I got was put aside. That he got was put aside. Into a little tin box. A little tin box that a little tin key unlocks. There is nothing unorthodox about a little tin box. About a little tin box. There's a little tin box. A little tin box. There's a cushion for life's rude shocks. There is faith, hope, and charity. Hard won prosperity in a little tin box. Next witness, take the stand. Mr. Z, you're a junior official, and your income's rather low. Yet you've kept a dozen women in the very best hotels. Would you kindly explain how so? I can see your honor doesn't pull his punches, and it looks a trifle fishy, I'll admit. But for one whole week I went without my lunches, and it mounted up your honor bit by bit. 
Up your armor, fist by bit. It's just a little tin box, a little tin box, and a little tin key unlocks. There is nothing unorthodox about a little tin box. About a little tin box. About a little tin box. It's a little tin box, a little tin box, all a glitter with blue chip stocks. There is something delectable, almost respectable, in a little tin box, in a little tin box. Well, I wonder what's going on on the television in the living room. Now, here, boys and girls, is the package that you see in the grocery store when you go shopping with your mom. And it's usually right out on the counter. And say, boys and girls, just look at this. Now, you see, every Hostess cupcake has a wonderful surprise inside. Yes, they're cream-filled. And you know this dark part? Well, that's rich, devil's food cake. And look at all that wonderful chocolate fudge icing. And the little white squiggle on top. Well, now, boys and girls, I want you all to tell your moms and dads about this wonderful dessert. And I know that Mom will be glad to buy Hostess cupcakes because... Well, they're the kind of dessert that the whole family will enjoy. You ask Mom to look for the special Hostess cake display like this one. And right on the display, there's a picture of a big red heart with the Hostess lady inside, just like on the package. And then there's Aunt Agnes. She likes to burst out in sort of song when she's the focus of attention. Oh, for God's sake. Well, Uncle Walter has a much better habit. Don't tell her. I went to his room in the middle of the night. I tiptoed inside and I turned on the light. But to my dismay, he was nowhere inside. And I'm sure Uncle Walter went waltzing that night. He goes wah 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 waltzing with bears, raggy bears, shaggy bears, baggy bears too, and there's nothing on earth Uncle Walter won't do, so he can go waltzing, wah 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 waltzing, he can go waltzing, go waltzing with bears. I beg. I pleaded with Uncle Walter to stay And I managed to keep him inside for a day But the bears all barged in And they took him away Now he's dancing with pandas And I can't understand it But the bears all demand at least one waltz a day But last night when the moon rose We crept down the stairs He took me to dance Where the bears have their lair We danced in a bear hug With nary a care It all feels like flying There is no denying And now my pajamas are covered with hair We go wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-waltzing with Shaggy bears, shaggy bears, baggy bears too And there's nothing on earth Uncle Walter won't do So he can go waltzing Wah-wah-wah-waltzing He can go waltzing Go waltzing with bears When I was young, we went to the same deadly, dull, boring beach town every year. It builds itself as Washington's vacation capital, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Cable TV did not exist back then, so in that area, the house my parents bought, damn, I'm going to be stuck here every summer and several times the rest of the year, 
I was far from any chance of television, but now and then we would go out to the nearby drive-in movie to see something entirely family-friendly and intensely boring. Often I'd just ignore the movie, lie out on the tailgate of the station wagon, remember those, and watch the dark sky intently for an occasional meteor, and there were a few. Certainly better than Francis the Talking Mule movies and Bob Hope Road to Wherever movies. But I might just have paid attention to Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin if I knew he was this, uh, enthusiastic about cutting ads like this one for his movies. You might enjoy this for a picture called The Caddy in 1953. It gets salty. Hi, everybody. This is Dean Martin. And Jerry Lewis. We'd like to tell you all about our latest and funniest picture for Paramount. Of course you mean the caddy. Of course. You know, Jerry, I don't remember the last time I had so much fun making a picture. Boy, I'll say. How about that scene when I wrecked the department store that I'm working in? (laughs) Yeah, and what about the scene when I come home and find a strange, and I do mean strange, man in my bed, and it turns out to be you? Tell him about the terrific game of golf I play. Go on, tell him. Crazy, man, crazy. I hate to brag, folks, but I think the caddy is the funniest picture we've made. No kidding, it's got 90 riotous minutes of howls, gags, fun, and more heartwarming entertainment than you and the family ever saw. Take my word for it, the caddy is the most hilarious picture we've ever made. Come on, join the fun. See Paramount's the caddy. Yeah, the caddy. Is that all right, you cocksucker? How was that, you shitheel? <laughs> Without reading it, I'm with you. Okay. Next, you still rolling? Still rolling? All right, stop. You can cut that bit out. Okay. Now, this is Dean Martin. And Jerry Lewis asking you to see our newest and funniest picture to date. Of course, you mean the caddy. You bet I do. The caddy is filled with 90 hilarious minutes of howls, gags, fun, and heartwarming entertainment that the entire family will enjoy. Crazy, man, crazy. No doubt about it, Dean. This is the funniest picture we've ever made. No kidding, folks. We're sensational. Take my word for it. Come on and join the fun. See Paramount's the caddy. It'll make you shit. <laughs> <laughs> Cut out, make. <laughs> you ready? You ain't doing a fucking thing. You're just standing there. Now, this is Dean Martin. And Jerry Lewis with him. We will Dave and Flair, you cocksuckers. <laughs> ready? Now, this is Dean Martin. And Jerry Lewis with a reminder to see our newest and funniest motion picture ever, The Caddy. Oh, he's right, folks. Come on and join the fun in the most righteous 90 minutes of howls. Righteous? Where the fuck do you see righteous? That's riotous, you greaseball. Righteous. What is this, a religious picture? I ain't up. This is religious Martin and Jerry Lewis. Well, there's there. Five fucking lines. We can't get through it. Come on, 15. This is Dean Martin. And Jerry Lewis with a reminder to see our newest and funniest motion picture ever, The Caddy. Oh, he's right, folks. Come on and join the fun in the most wonderful 90 minutes of howls and gags you ever saw. We'll be seeing you in Paramount's The Caddy. Yep, The Caddy. With a big cock on it. <laughs> okay. All right, let's go. Let's go to lunch. Sound anything like your family when they're forced into uncomfortable proximity? A recommendation, a YouTube channel, Hollywood Graveyard, hosted by Arthur Dark. He takes viewers on a tour of cemeteries all over the world, visiting the graves of celebrities, movie stars, as well as other notables, as he recalls in some very creative video essays what they did. The channel started with tours of grave sites, and many recent episodes have been mini-dramas like the tour of the actual locations featured in the 1922 film Nosferatu. You might also want to watch the darkly atmospheric summary of the tragic life, loves, death, and legends about Edgar Allan Poe. There's the discovery of the misplaced ashes of Edmund Gwen, the actor who played Chris Kringle in Miracle on 34th Street. For close to a century, thousands of cremated remains that were not placed in a niche in the columbaria, or scattered, ended up down in the vault. Walking into the vault for the first time, I was instantly struck by the sheer numbers. 
Thousands of simple box urns neatly arranged on shelves floor to ceiling, two stories high. Each of these box urns, neatly labeled on the front with the individual's name, was like a book on a shelf. A book of life with countless untold stories within. A century-long timeline of humanity. Some had no next of kin, others did have next of kin, but their urns were never retrieved or sent out to them. For some it came down to financial limitations, this was the most affordable option. And some may have just assumed that after their loved one was cremated that their ashes would have been scattered and may not have even known that they were placed in the vault. Cremation was a relatively new concept in the US in the early 20th century. Most of those resting herein are placed in simple copper box or even cardboard box urns, each a literal time capsule from the past. We estimate there are well in excess of 10,000 sets of cremated remains here in Voltage. As we added the names to the catalog one by one, some names dating back more than a hundred years, Jessica called to mind an old saying, something along the lines of, each of us dies two deaths, the first when our body dies, the second when our name is spoken for the very last time. Over that time, a handful of classic Hollywood stars found their way in here. In the bottom shelf is a name familiar to you fans of the Marx Brothers, Margaret Dumont. As comedic foil in seven Marx Brothers films, she's sometimes thought of as the fifth Marx Brother. Notable among her films are Duck Soup, Animal Crackers, At the Circus, and A Night at the Opera. Margaret died after suffering a heart attack in 1965. There was one more star we had hoped to find here in Vault 2, who managed to elude us. Edmund Gwen. Edmund Gwen, of course, is famous for playing Santa Claus in Miracle on 34th Street. So we were hopeful that this is where he would be, but unfortunately for us, he's not here. Our next star here in Vault 5 appeared in several of the biggest films of Hollywood's Golden Age, and was one of the first we sought out down here. Thomas Mitchell died in December of 1962, so we came over to this shelf which corresponds to December of 62. We scanned all the nameplates on this shelf, but were disappointed not to see him. I began to climb the ladder to look at the next shelf up, while Jessica pointed out that there was one urn without a label on it, but found the label loosely slipped into a plastic bag. She said something along the lines of, what do you suppose the odds are that it's this one? She pulled out the label and read, Thomas Mitchell. I thought she was messing with me, but when she turned the label around to show me, I nearly fell off the ladder. It was indeed the urn of Thomas Mitchell. The legendary actor played Uncle Billy in It's a Wonderful Life, Scarlett O'Hara's father in Gone with the Wind, and he won an Oscar for his role as Doc Boone in the 1939 film Stagecoach. Are you, Mr. Haycock? Haycock. Don't tell me, sir. I know, I know a familiar name and an honor name. I never forget a face or a friend. <laughs> Thomas Mitchell passed away from cancer at age 70. The family of Thomas Mitchell recently confirmed to us that since this is where he chose to be, this is where he will stay. Weeks later, before we finished up in here, Vault 5 had one more secret to tell. He's not lost. He's not lost anymore. He's just misplaced. Wow. Talk us through what just happened. I'm still in shock. Um, I was looking through one of the vaults. Um, this was covered in paper. And I just turned it around to see what the nameplate said. And I read Edmund Gwen. And I said it out loud. And we were both in shock. <laughs> like, it's still... Because we had looked in every vault. He was not where he was supposed to be. No. Chronologically. He is no longer lost. No. After how long has he been hiding in a paper bag on a shelf? 1959. Since 1959. And he was placed in this beautiful urn. Why did he end up in a dark vault for all these years? One day I was cataloging some of the last urns in Vault 5 when I noticed that Margaret Dumont's urn, which we had already cataloged here, was missing. In April 2023, Margaret's urn was removed from the vault after 58 years and placed in this niche just to the right of the entrance to the chapel, where you Marx Brothers fans can finally come visit her in her new final resting place. I've been sitting right here since 7 o'clock. Yes, with your back to me. When I invite a woman to dinner, I expect her to look at my face. That's the price she has to pay. You Margaret did indeed get all the jokes. 
It was a thrilling moment when Jessica found the urn of Edmund Gwen, Hollywood's beloved Santa Claus from Miracle on 34th Street, a role that would earn him an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Would you please tell her that you're not really Santa Claus, that there actually is no such person? Well, I'm sorry to disagree with you, Mrs. Walker, but not only is there such a person, but here I am to prove it. <laughs> he lived to be 81. After finding his urn, Jessica reached out to notify the next of kin. And efforts are currently underway to give Edmund a new home in a niche at Hollywood Forever Cemetery, hopefully just in time for Christmas. In addition to that, there's a photo of Aaron Brill's grave. You can see that on this episode's webpage. Steve Belgard and his associates have, after a lot of work, premiered the film Schlitzy, One of Us. More about that in the future. The holiday season is about bounty, so you deserve an early Christmas gift. In case you didn't know it, Project Gutenberg at Gutenberg.org has so much more than you could consume in a lifetime. It's a volunteer effort to digitize and archive cultural works without curating them as acceptable or significant by today's strange standards. It's the Internet's oldest digital library. Most of the items here are the full texts of books or individual stories in the public domain. All files can be accessed for free, and they're in formats you can certainly use, like plain text, HTML to read online directly, PDF, and EPUB. Just keep searching for your favorite author. I've posted some special links on the episode webpage. Other similar sources, which we'll discuss in the future, are the Internet Archive and, for audiobooks, LibriVox. Ah, snow cones. Here's a refreshment, icy cold and superbly delicious. Get one now. We've got them in your favorite flavor. I know you can buy cranberry sauce in a can, and I'm fine with that. Some people like cranberries made into whole berry sauce, and the packages usually have the recipes printed right on them. One cup of sugar, one cup of water, one 12-ounce package of fresh cranberries. You just put the cranberries into the right amount of water, add the sugar, and boil. They'll thicken by themselves quite quickly, then chill. Presto, you've made your own in advance in about five minutes, and you get to brag about it. If you prefer jellied cranberry sauce, you can buy it in a can or use the same process I just described, then strain the sauce while it's still hot using a wire mesh strainer over a bowl. Use the back of a large spoon to do the mashing, frequently scraping the outside of the container until nothing is left. Then cover and chill thoroughly. Do it the day before so it'll be cold. Yum! Also, consider using the result as cranberry jam for whatever you use jam for. Here's a refreshment, icy cold and superbly delicious. Get one now. We've got them in your favorite flavor. Now, back to the darned relatives. Some of them will, as usual, ask you when you're going to get a real job. This will take a few minutes, but it's rewarding in its example, I promise. As Professor and Dame Mary Beard says the arts are, in fact, a real job that is important to society, even though it may not be lucrative. I think that artists, writers, and musicians were also on the front line of our response to plague and pandemic. They weren't just trying to keep our minds off what was going on. They were also trying to help us think harder about the disaster we were in. They were helping us with understanding what plague and pandemic could mean, what their place in the world was, and what their wider effects on us might be. First work of Western literature is Homer's Iliad, the story of the war between the Greeks and the Trojans, and it was composed in the 8th century BCE. It begins with a plague 
sent by the god Apollo against the Greeks because they dishonored his priest. Western literature starts with a pandemic and has always been committed to help us make sense of that kind of events. Perhaps the most famous Greek tragedy of all, Oedipus the King, the one in which Oedipus discovers that he's killed his dad and married his mum, it starts with a plague. Arts and culture didn't offer us the medical resources, but they offered us the mental resources to do that. They helped us get our heads around it. And in that sense, during the pandemic, arts and culture were not an optional extra, they were central. In particular, I want to challenge the dangerous idea that the arts are a kind of cheering up device for the community, that they're an added extra, which are nice to have when there's a bit of spare cash around, but can be dispensed with when there isn't. Now, it doesn't take much to see that that notion that arts are an added extra is the first step in an argument that leads to seeing the arts as a privilege for the privileged. If you're rich enough to enjoy music, dance, drama, fine, you can. If you're not, you can do without, and it doesn't really matter very much. I think that we can be sometimes too timid in our defence. We end up selling ourselves short, and I think that we need to be a lot bolder in our defence of arts and culture and to say something more like this. In a sense, the arts are something which really do help us work out how we can be a community and disagree with one another. Arts and culture, they are the necessities of responsible citizenship and we cannot do without them. To put some flesh on the bones of that, let me go back to Euripides' tragedy, Medea, that was written in the 5th century BC and is still frequently staged. Medea is a princess who helps the Greek hero Jason steal the prize of the golden fleece from her father's land. Jason gets the golden fleece. Medea runs off with him. They marry and have two children together. But while they're living there, Jason decides to dump her for a better prospect, the daughter of the local king. Jason is moving up in the world. In revenge, Medea murders his new wife, as well as her father, the king, and really to get back at Jason, she kills their two children. At the end of the play, she gets off. She's miraculously rescued, and she's carried off in a divine chariot, confronting the audience with the complexity of moral judgment. And we feel sympathy for Medea. She's helped her lover, and then she's dumped and we feel disgust at Jason's cruel treatment of her, only to discover that we've taken the side of a woman who not only kills her own kids, but also gets away with it. We can't watch this play or read it now without reflecting on what provocation might ever excuse murder, and also on the limits of our own sympathy, can a properly functioning society ever do without debates of that sort? Of course, it can't. Could it debate those issues in other ways? Yes, it could, and in some ways you might say that those issues are debated in courtrooms across the country every day of the week. But what I would like to claim is that there is no more effective or inclusively sophisticated way of thinking through those problems than in the under two hours that this play takes to perform. It brings us 
right down to some of the essentials of being a thoughtful, responsible citizen. And it opens up ways in which we learn to be that. Subscribe to Valleycast and join the human oddities and a few just plain folks privileged to see behind the curtain of the sideshow, freak show, and variety arts of all kinds. You'll hear stories of famous performers, past and present, interviews with brave and skilled artists, and ideas you can use for your own acts. You'll find links on the webpage at ballycast.com and all previous episodes are available as well. We want you. Coolerophobia. What? Clowns are friendly. They're funny. Here, honey, you're all right. Let let him pick you up and sit you on his lap. Why the hell are you crying? Stop screaming. It's not clear how many people are creeped out by clowns, but it's really not hard to find reasons why they might be creepy. Back when I was a monster kid, Forrest J. Ackerman wrote in an issue of the magazine he edited, Famous Monsters of Filmland, an essay titled... The Clown at Midnight. The point was that it's very late at night and it's quiet. You're home alone, all by yourself. And the doorbell rings. You respond, and there right in front of you is not a person in need of help or a cop or a friend. It's a clown standing (laughs) there right in your face, big as life and noisy and completely zany. I venture to say you'd certainly be frightened, probably a lot. One recent survey in the United States found that many, 5% or more of people, said they were afraid of clowns to some degree. When I was working, I remember a huge street fair in D.C. where I was hired to appear as a clown and just walk around, nothing more. And I passed a young kid, maybe seven or eight years old, sitting over to the side with probably his grandpa. I looked at him and smiled as I passed on, didn't speak or stop, and I heard him break down in tears and even screams as I was walking off. A team at the University of South Wales found some distinctive patterns in a study titled Fear of Clowns, an Investigation into the Etiology of Coolrophobia. Most of those who reported such a fear denied ever having a scary personal experience with a clown. But you can never really know what a clown is thinking or what crazy thing he might do. You might recall Ballycast episode 155 when Mike Quackenbush, who runs a wrestling school in Philadelphia, mentioned Lucha Libre wrestlers being fearsome by denying their identity to their opponents and their audience. You can't read their real facial expressions. There might be something hidden or even harmful intent under that makeup. And the exaggerated features are disturbing. The big red nose, the egg head, the puffs of neon-colored hair. People seem to be scared of beings that look nearly human, but not exactly. Remember mass murderer John Wayne Gacy, who killed at least 33 teenage boys and young men in the Chicago area, who entertained at children's parties as Pogo the Clown. This is him, a clown mass murderer, describing his feelings about being a clown to you. I've always told people when when I got into clown makeup, I regressed into childhood. It was fun being a clown because you could you could, you could be yourself or, or just let yourself go and act a fool. You could be slapstick and funny and have a good time. That's why I always enjoyed clowning. He was heard to say that clowns can get away with anything. People don't want to become the butt of a joke. 
Nobody comes out of an interaction with a clown looking dignified. For a lot of people who want to present themselves well in public, the clown is a threat. And clowns are unpredictable. They make some people laugh, but they often behave in startling ways that normal people never would. And on top of all that, if you reject the entire experience, well, something's wrong with you. I don't think they become creepy to us because people started putting them in haunted houses. I think they got in haunted houses because people found them creepy to begin with. What to do about it? I seriously don't know. Maybe, maybe shoot first, then you'll be safe. Oh, from the first part of this episode, you remember Cousin Kathy? Well... Don't want your love anymore Don't want your kisses, that's for sure I die each time I hear this sound My family, like living in a zoo sometimes, or uh, what was that kind of place? didn't finish it. Gershwin took a chord in G and proceeded to diminish it. I saw a variation on a theme I thought was pretty, and I found my inspiration on the Oh, <laughs> 
episode the dark looking glass i'll tell you about that next time ballycast is produced by wayne kaiser for blue ridge entertainment under a creative commons 3.0 attribution non-commercial no derivatives license that means you can keep it copy it share it with a friend just tell them where it came from don't change it and don't sell it if you enjoyed it, you can subscribe at BalletCast.com. Visit us, link to us, subscribe to the podcast, and most importantly, enjoy. Thanks for riding. Please exit to your left. The preceding program was transcribed. <laughs> hey!